Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 77th episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hope you all recovered nicely from the holidays, whatever you celebrate, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, um, Festivus, all that good stuff, and maybe got some new books along the way over the weekend. Um, today, we have another author interview, this time with Fleur McDonald, who is Australian and writes a lot about uh, living in Australia and the Outback. And she has a farming background, uh, personally, having grown up on a farm, and that plays a lot into her books and what she writes about. So this is a really fun one. And of course, it's summer in Australia. So, you know, if it's cold and snowy like it is here in Cleveland, um, you can read these books and maybe get a little warm up uh, for that. Um, so it's the end of the year, you guys. Can you believe it? It's already almost 2017. I can't. I can't believe it. This year was kind of rough. But there are lots of good books came out. And we had a Best Books Of episode come out a couple weeks ago um, where we talked about all of our favorite books. And so be sure to check that out if you're looking for some new books to read in the new year that um, were some of our favorites here on the podcast. And definitely let us know if you have any favorites that came out over the year. We want to hear from you guys. Speaking of, you can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. That was a nice segue, wasn't it? I'm very proud of myself for that one. Um, Facebook and Twitter, you can find us. And you can also email us directly at feedback at overdrive.com. We love getting your emails. So please be sure to reach out and tell us what you are reading and what you are loving. And if there are any um, books coming out in 2017 that you are looking forward to reading. And you know, if you you know got a new tablet or e-reader or iPad or any of that fun stuff, definitely be sure to go to your public library website and check out what they have available through Overdrive so you can get library books that way right there on your tablet, e-reader, download them, boom, just like getting a physical book except one, you don't have to worry about returning it and two, you don't have to worry about fines if it's late, which is good because I'm one of those librarians who is horrible about returning books on time. So I love Overdrive. Don't have to worry about fines and turning them on time. Um, and, you know, if you get snowed in, again, they're right there. All You don't even have to go to the library and bundle up. If your library is closed on the weekend, if your library is it's too snowy, you don't want to deal with it, just go to Overdrive. Check out the books right there. It's like magic. Book magic. You know, good stuff. Okay. I'm done now. I'll stop. Adam's not here yet, as you can tell. <laughs> it's a little awkward. Um, okay, so everybody, hope you enjoy this interview with Fleur McDonald on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam and Joe from Team Overdrive. And today we're joined by Fleur McDonald, who is one of Australia's leading rural literature authors, with her books becoming bestsellers almost as quickly as they hit the shelves. She's written and published eight works of fiction, with her first general fiction novel, The Missing Pieces of Us, coming out in April of 2017, as well as two children's books, Noisy Nights, which came out in August, and the second one of which will come out in 2018. Today we'll be kicking off our chat by discussing Emerald Springs, one of our featured holiday spectacular titles. Flora, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, quite a distance between America and Australia, but I'm really pleased that you've given me a call. 
We are pleased to have you as well with that distance. <laughs> um, so for our listeners and librarians who may not be familiar with your work, can you give us an introduction to Emerald Springs? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started, Emerald Springs um, came about by a conversation that I had with my dad. We have uh, rodeos over here um, in Australia and my dad is the treasurer for um, a, local, a small local rodeo and I was talking to him one day, uh, he, he's the treasurer, so I was talking to him one day about how he uh, carted the money back after the rodeo had finished and you've got to understand that where he is it's very, very small um, country town, very isolated, not populated at all. And um, he said, oh, no, 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 I just stick it in the car and drive it home. I don't um, I don't have a problem with any of that. And I said to him, but what if you get robbed? And he said, oh, no, 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 that's never going to happen. And so I got to thinking, I thought, well, you think that it mightn't happen, but I can make it happen. So my main character, Amelia, is the subject of a carjacking. Um, and uh, she is the treasurer of the Rodeo Committee, and uh, she has the money stolen. And uh, so you, you mentioned this a little bit with Amelia's life being with farms and, and rodeos. A lot of people tend to write about what they know. So this obviously applies to you as well, right? You you grew up with, you know, farms as a part of your life? Part of your life? Yeah, I, um, I spent 20 years farming on the south coast of WA, so the south coast of Western Australia. Um, we had 8,000 acres there um, and um, I, like two years ago I had a marriage breakup so I've moved into town now but yeah um, agriculture is very much part of my life and a very um, a very important part of society full stop so yeah I like to write about that and just um, show agriculture in a good light and where everyone's food comes from. Okay I, I have to ask 8,000 8, acres just sounds like an impossible amount of land how do you keep all of that straight i'm trying like how does that even something that you could go through in a, a day or even a week how do you kind of keep everything that's your land straight if it's that large oh it really eight thousand acres isn't that large compared to a lot of the other uh, farms around here um it's really i don't even know how to describe it to you um in what you would know but it's probably Oh, I don't know, maybe just the size of a, a small town, I suppose, you know, with maybe 10 or 15,000 people in it, if you just took into consideration all the houses. So it's not that big. You know, you get around it in half a day when you go into a stock run, you you check all the troughs and there's, there's water points that you uh, go to um, and you get to know where your stock tend to like the parts of the paddocks and, you know, that type of thing. So it's pretty easy. <laughs> We're going to take your word for it. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, um, farming is very much a 24-7 a lifestyle, um, getting up at dawn and staying up, working all day. Did, did you find, um, did you have a hard time balancing working the farm and writing at the same time and, and having that all that time to do everything that needed to be done? Yeah, um, you know, finding time is always a, a bit of a, a bit of a snatch and grab type thing. I, when I, um, when I was writing my uh, third, fourth, and fifth book, I was also caring for my mother-in-law who had terminal leukemia. So a lot of those books were written while we were in and out of um, 
hospital rooms and chemo treatment and, and those types of things. So as well as trying to balance that, I was balancing farming and looking after kids and my youngest son's autistic. So it was a pretty um, full-on few years. But I always say that if you love something enough, you will always find the time to do it. And whether or not you know that's at 5 o'clock in the morning or after everyone's gone to bed at night, you'll always find the time to do it. And so... I I'm, I saw on your website that you're no longer doing full-time farming. So now that you have a little bit of more time to devote to your novels, what is your writing process like? Do you try to keep a, a word count for yourself every day? Or do you have a, a strict kind of time frame that you write every day? Or is it just as inspiration hits? Yeah, uh, I, I really need to treat it like a business now. And um, so I sort of get up and get the kids off to school and go through the you know the normal morning routine and try and make sure that I'm sitting at the computer at nine o'clock I'm actually contracted to write two books a year at the moment so you, I just seriously cannot get behind in any of um, in any of the writing so you know I've got a deadline that I usually divide out how many working days I've got by you know, 90,000 or 100,000 words and that gives me a bit of a word count or a, or a basis of a word count that I need to um, attend to most days. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. I've learnt not to get too stressed because I usually make the deadline in the end. <laughs> um, but, yeah, some you know, there's always things that happen in life that throw it out, um, you know, your, your working process out. But at the end of the day, you have to treat it... Um, like a business and I don't think you know especially being contracted for two books a year I don't think you've got the um, lucidity I suppose of going oh well my muse isn't talking to me today the fact is you've got to sit down and write the words do you have all those books planned out already or do you just sort of wait like write one and then decide to write whatever comes to you for the next one yeah, I mean, there's always to get you know to be contracted. You've always got to have a bit of a synopsis and a bit of an idea about what you're going to to write about. And the publishers like to have that before they will give you a contract. But um, when it comes to, I can tell you, whatever synopsis I write is never the book that ends up coming out. And I don't know why that is. It just seems to change as I go along. So I don't ever plan any of my books. Um, I feel that if I plan that you guys as a reader might end up knowing what I'm going to write because I already know. Um, so I, I like to leave it that I don't know what's going to happen until it comes out of me and sometimes I don't know until you know my fingers hit the keyboard. So I'd like to think that I can keep everybody turning pages by not planning. Um, so with those two those two books a year, I know that you write, you know, you've started writing commercial fiction and you also write children's books as well as kind of the rural fiction that you, you're really well known for. Are these, uh, the two books a year, is it two books in the, in the rural fiction or can you kind of mix and match the different types of genres that you're writing? Yeah, we're sort of mix, mix and matching at the moment. So the rural fiction books are coming out in November and the um, general fiction's coming out in April and that's the way we sort of keep like to keep it at the moment. I've also got a series um, tinkering in the back of my mind that I would like to sort of make some start on trying to write in my rural lit books. I've got a, um, a main character called Dave Burrows who's a detective and so I'd actually like to give Dave his own series because I tend to, he's one of my favourite characters to write and, and I get a lot of great feedback from readers about him. So 
that's sort of um, another possibility of something that might happen in the future. You like to write um, strong female leads who overcome adversity and, as we've already discussed, often share your own personal experiences. These strong uh, females is a, is a trend that we're seeing a lot in literature and one that I personally love. What is it about strong female characters that you find so compelling? And maybe just talk about why it's so important that we keep having them show up in literature and the books that we, that we read. Yeah, look, for for um, the rural fiction genre, to me, um, especially, I don't know so much about America, but in Australia, when I first started farming 25 years ago, it was very unusual for women to be involved in agriculture. It wasn't so strange that our farmers' wives were helping out on farms, but for a young single girl just out of school to go and get a job on a farm was really unusual. And... Even with a bona fide farming job, so many of us girls found um, it quite intimidating to go to field days and, um, you know, days where we're learning about research and development on stock. And it's only been in the last probably 10 years that I've seen those women that have been there for a very long time start to come out from being hidden, be very, um, now find that they're very visible and very involved in some of the higher um and jobs of agriculture and I think it's just a celebration of what we've achieved as women in agriculture um, and country women tend to have a bit of a, a a strong or they've got a strong character in the way that you know there's nobody else to do it for you your neighbours might be 50 or 60 kilometres away 30 miles away and um, there isn't anybody to do it for you. Whatever the problem is, you've got to get on and fix it yourself. And I really like to celebrate those women. And then, so something else, we mentioned that you've written a few children's books now, uh, and your your first one was published this year. But I think I saw on your website, you actually started out by writing children's stories before your uh, your other novels. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that was a funny story um, because when I, like I mentioned earlier, my son's autistic and uh, so I started writing kids' books for him when he was quite little um, while we were trying to help him with his, his attention span. So I thought, well, if I wrote stories about um, things that he knew, then it might help him just stay still for a bit longer and concentrate. So I was writing things about, you know, the pet dogs and pet calves and sheep and sheepyards and working dogs and cattle and so forth. And um, I found an agent in Perth, which is our capital city, and she looked at um, the first three chapters that I'd written of my first rural fiction book called Red Dust. And then she looked at my um, Noisy Nights children's book and she said, I'll take Noisy Nights on. There's no way that you can write Red Dust isn't going to go anywhere. I don't want to touch it. So um, she actually got that very wrong because it took me 15 years to sell um, the, the Noisy Nights and Red Dust was published before um, the end of that year that I'd signed that contract with her. <laughs> um, was, yeah, she was a bit wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so in April of next year, um, your first, what we would sort of consider commercial fiction novel, The Missing Pieces of Us, will be coming out. Can you tell us anything about that book and what maybe sets it apart from your previous works? 
Um, okay, so I guess all of my previous work, again, they feature strong women. They're set on farms, set, uh, something, to, anything to do with agriculture. Um, I also have a heavy crime um, aspect in all of those rural fiction books. Like I said, Dave, Detective Dave Burrows is a feature in most of them. Um, the Missing Pieces of Us is completely different in the way that there's um, sort of three main characters. Uh, three, again, they're women, but they're... Um, one's a 14-year-old girl and um, her mum and uh, then a, another lady that comes into it. And it's about adoption and finding yourself, um, finding who you are. And the, the, um, the feelings of worthlessness that perhaps people that have been adopted can feel not understanding and not knowing where they've come from. And so a, a lot of authors tend to stick to one genre. They either just write mystery or thrillers or, you know, uh, young adult. But you have this ability to kind of jump around back and forth. Are there any genres that you haven't yet uh, delved into that you might be interested in writing in the future? Um, I th- oh, yeah, I'd really like to try and get this, this Dave Burroughs crime um, detective series up and going. I've got a very strong love of crime writing. You know, Michael Connolly and John Grisham are one of my, or two of my favourite authors, along with, you know, um, Patricia Cornwall and, you know, some of your huge authors over there. Um, so I would really like to have a crack at something like uh, a detective series. Um, uh, that's probably about my limit, you know, between just telling the rural stories and and some commercial fiction. I guess the one thing that um, makes it a bit easier for me to swap genres is the fact that I just come from a long line of storytellers and and it's not necessarily about fitting into any boxes that uh, commercial fiction have or, um, or, you know, restrained by any, um, any... Oh, um, what's the word for it when you're writing in a genre type thing? I, I've always pushed the boundaries of writing within genres, so I'm never constrained by any of that. I just tell the story the way that I see it. So to be able to go into crime would be a great thing, but we'll just see how um, the commercial fiction pans out. You know, I'd like to, you know, if that works and everyone's happy with it um, within the publishing world and the sales work well then you know i'll probably just stick with that for a little while you mentioned that you come from a long line of storytellers are there other uh, authors in your family oh my dad would love to be an author uh <laughs> <laughs> his stories tend to start off very very small and by the time he's finished they're as large as those fishing stories the one that got away <laughs> <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, he is, a, and my nana, I guess, you know, that's probably where my love of um, stories came from. So my nana, um, he, she used to have this storytelling chair next to her fire, and uh, we'd sit down there on winter's days, and she'd sit in her green rocking chair and tell me stories about um, Spindles and Mr. Parenti, the goanna that used to live in the creek just down the road. And it's so, it was so cool, you know, I used to love that was one of the biggest, you know, the best things about coming home from school. You'd go to Nana's house and get a story. And my daughter is at the moment um, over in South Australia looking and nannying for my sister's kids. And she rings at 5 o'clock every night and she sits my little nieces and nephews down. She says, righto, Auntie Flair's going to tell you a story about Spindles and Mr. Parenti the Goanna. 
That's so cool to be able to do that. Oh my, that's, that is adorable. I absolutely love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So other than the the crime authors that you had mentioned um, just a little bit ago, are there any other authors that you've read that you just read all the time and love or that have maybe inspired your own writing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, Fiona McIntosh, I don't know how, she, how big she is in America, but she's very big over here in Australia. Um, Fiona McIntosh is a very um, strong commercial women's fiction author that I really enjoy, and Monica McInerney. Um, Leanne Moriarty, who's just getting quite a lot of airplay in the last little while, um, she has certainly influenced my writing in the last 12 months. Um when I go on tour, like we're doing crazy, crazy distances when I go on tour, you know, I think when I did the Sapphire Fall tour back at the beginning of November, I did 4,000 Ks in five days or something. Oh. So, you know, I'm listening to audio books as much as I can. And listening to Leanne Moriarty's work is, um, yeah, it just made me want to strive to be better. She's very lyrical and and just has this uncanny way of, Flipping the lids when you least expect it, something <laughs> amazing comes out, you know? Yeah, she's, uh, she's wonderful. Uh, so given that Overdrive is a library company, we love asking uh, all of our authors that we talk with, do you have any thoughts or stories on, on the importance of libraries? I'm, I'm sure that growing up uh, it was probably difficult to get to a library in such a rural area, but do you have any thoughts on, on the importance of libraries? Uh, libraries are massively important. You know, not not everyone is blessed with enough money to be able to go buy books, and everybody needs to have books in their lives. You know, um, I I was able to um, access a library when I was going to school, and my kids are able to access libraries. But you know, they're incredibly important, and I find that sometimes publishers tend to leave libraries off the list because they don't buy books. But the fact of the matter is that they do. So you know. Everybody needs the opportunity to be able to go and pick a book up and have a read. So next up, we have what we call the Nerd in Nine. They're nine rapid-fire questions, so try not to put too much thought into them. <laughs> First up is, what's the, la- uh, what's the last book what's the last you finished reading? Uh, the Drive by Jane Harper. Your favorite place to read? On my bed. <laughs> Do you have a guilty pleasure? Pleasure. Uh, coffee and wine. <laughs> there you go. That's okay. Uh, one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Italy. Do you have a favorite holiday like Christmas or Halloween? No, any time I get to spend with my family. Okay. Favorite movie? Uh, Pretty Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Cats or dogs? Cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> Your favorite food? Favorite food? Uh, pasta. And if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you pick? Now, I don't know this bloke's name, but the guy that's um, playing Red Reddington in the blacklist. Oh, um, oh, shoot. Same somebody. James Spader. Yeah, I'd love to have dinner with him. That's a good one. That's a good one. I am obsessed with the blacklist. That's a really good (laughs) one. 
just the same that's really really good um all right so we have one last que- we have one last question for you uh what do you hope that readers take away from reading your books um okay so i just really hope that they take away a sense of um uh, uh, perhaps that they might want to go out and achieve the same way as the girls in my book do um my one of the books that i wrote called indigo storm which came out at the beginning of this year there was a very strong of domestic violence in that and my biggest hope with that particular book was that somebody could recognize that there was a problem within their own lives or within their friends lives and help them so I just really hope that whoever picks up my books comes away with a really good nice sense of satisfaction for reading a good book but also perhaps want to achieve something or go out and try um something in agriculture come away with a bit of a better understanding of agriculture as well that's a perfect answer Flora. thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.